Hi guys, Luke and Aiden from the Line and Length podcast here to give you a heads up. Our podcast covers a range of topics that some people can find confronting. Line and Length are ripping the covers off of mental health by initiating raw, unscripted and honest conversations with relatable guests who are willing to show vulnerability in talking about their mental health journeys. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to this episode of the Line and Length podcast. I'm your host, Aiden, joined here by regular Luke Kelly. How are you today, mate? I'm good. Thanks, Aiden. Going very well, mate. Mate, uh, before we jump into it, we've got uh, our returning sponsors, um, Hello Services. Yeah, we do, mate. Our corporate partners there, Hello Services, Plumbing and Electrical, uh, based in Sydney. Uh, We know that Rob Shipway, the guys and girls there, um, they've made a large donation, which allows us to fund mental health first aid training to our members, which um, ultimately saves lives and is why we're doing this. So a big shout out to them. Shout out to Hello Services. And uh, let's get into today's episode. We've got with us today's special guest, Anastasia McLean. How are you, Anastasia? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Ready Ooh, to go with cool. this. I'm going to kick it off with our sort of regular question we start every episode off with. Who is Anastasia McLean? Oh, gosh, that's such a loaded question. She's yes. a fucking queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a tough one. I don't even know who I am. But basically, I mean, you know, I'm 27. I live in London. Um, I have bipolar 2 disorder. And a lot of people don't like to identify themselves by their bipolar. But that's definitely something that I am comfortable with doing. So I guess Anastasia McLean is fucking crazy (laughs) Um, and has bipolar. But yeah, no, I work in advertising. And yeah, I guess there's not much else to me. I'm quite a boring person, to be honest. You know, go to bed early, wake up early, watch a lot of TV. So that's kind of the the wrap up of me. (laughs) And you mentioned there bipolar 2 disorder. Can you give um, our audience a better understanding of what that actually is. Yeah, of course. So it's always quite hard because there are several different types of bipolar. And I mean, I've gotten in trouble in the past on speaking on the ones that I don't have because they are all so different to each other. Yeah. Um, so there is, you know, bipolar one and also cyclothymia and other bipolar. Um, and I slot into bipolar two disorder, which is basically People don't like to say that it's a mild version of bipolar one, but it's kind of the best way to describe it because it's got pretty much the same or similar symptoms to bipolar one. They're just not as extravagant. Uh, So, and, you know, bipolar one is quite, it's quite noticeable, I would say, but again, I don't want to say that because I don't, I don't have it. I don't know. I can't talk on it too much, but bipolar two can be quite hard to diagnose because it can go undetected and you could kind of like, I guess it's like a functioning, you function in society still, but then you still have this disability that challenges you every day, but you can kind of pass by as being, I say normal in like air quotes, you know? Um, And so you do obviously have your episodes where you go up and then you have your episodes where you go back down and then there's also different symptoms that come with those episodes so it's obviously not just about being up and hyper and really happy there's so many things that come come along with that such as you know one of the ways to show that or see that you're in an episode is by how much money you spend uh when you're hypomanic which is what I am uh you spend a ton of money and you're very impulsive and you experience hypersexuality. So like, I've definitely been called a slut in my day (laughs) because that's one of the symptoms. Um, And then you obviously come back down and experience um, depression, 
have suicidal thoughts. Uh, but a lot of the time, people with bipolar 2, you know, I've never been hospitalized, where, for example, with bipolar 1, it's very, most people would have maybe been hospitalized at some point. So, yeah, that's kind of where I sit with bipolar 2. When you, um, when you mentioned, you mentioned that like you have an episode. So how long would that go for like a day? Would that last for two days, a week? How long would an, an episode of either high or low last? I mean, each of the bipolars kind of have a different, like with bipolar one, they can be months and months at a time. I think even longer than that. For myself, it's quite hard because obviously when you go on like the internet and stuff, it has this criteria that you have to tick off as to be in those, you know, bipolar two, bipolar one boxes. And I never feel like I always tick off what it says on the internet. But as I said, everyone with bipolar is different. For myself, mine are more at weeks at a time. So I will experience like the other, the past three weeks. Don't worry, I'm coming out of it. So it's fine. I felt like I was in a hypomanic episode. Um, I had all the telltale signs and I was super irritable. Um, So it wasn't like your happy hyper bipolar. It was like hyper, but irritable and quite irritated and impatient and needing to, and like really overwhelmed. Um, So I wasn't depressed, but yeah, it lasted for like three weeks. Um, And then my depression, uh, probably about same amount, same amount of time. I don't know. I've never really timed them. I probably should though. (laughs) Can you identify that you're in one of those episodes like straight away or does it take time? You know, if, if it lasts for a month, does it take you two weeks to realize, oh, I'm having a heightened episode here? I guess it depends on the episode. I feel like my family can tell they, but they used to not without knowing really much about bipolar, they would just notice cycles Um, And they would, it would always also be around like certain times of the year. uh, And they picked up on it. I would have, you know, they're probably even better to ask. Actually, I would have like six good months and then something they they could anticipate it. For me, I think it takes something like a symptom for me to pick up on. So I could have been in it for like a week. And then I noticed that I just, spent a shit ton of money on something and I'm like fuck and then I look at what I've been doing the past week and I'm like okay I think I could be hypomanic you know so it's it's picking up on those little traits and symptoms that actually make me realize and like kind of the penny drops and I'm like shit I think Mm. I might be like this but that's taken years of kind of training and work yeah yeah so so bipolar is kind of forced you to become more self-aware in in sort of your own um, triggers and symptoms? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, bipolar, when you have bipolar, you think about yourself anyway. So, (laughs) you know, I'm thinking about myself 24-7. I'm definitely incredibly self-aware. Like, in my episodes of my podcast, I talk about how I think I actually am probably really manipulative as a person. Like, I'm too – I'm very much – aware of my bad sides like and who I am as a person but it wouldn't come across like that because then I still act like a psycho bitch (laughs) with no excuse so um but yeah I think as a someone with bipolar you have to be aware of yourself and you have to be you know on top of it um because when you're not you just it almost triggers you as well like you just you have to constantly reevaluate yourself every day and thinking about what you're doing and like you don't want to read too much into what you're doing but you almost have to to make sure that you are in a good headspace and you're balanced yeah how do you um 
think that having the bipolar two disorder affects your professional work? That's a tough one because I definitely am slaying it at the moment in life. So I don't really know if it's affecting me right now. Yeah, right. I think it. I think in the beginning it did, and there was a place where I was working where it was kind of the first place that I opened up about being bipolar. But I was young. Um, and when I say young, I mean, like I was 24 um, and they, I felt like used it against me, uh, not the company, sorry, the, some people that worked there, they would tell people to kind of like, oh, don't, you know, Anna's got bipolar, so don't really do this around her. And it's like, I never asked you to walk on eggshells around me. Like, that's not what I was doing. And I think they looked at some of my behaviours as... I don't know. I was in HR a lot, like partially some of it was my fault and partially was this fucking dickhead who just like, I could just tell he was using it against me. Um, but now it honestly does me a service. If I'm honest, I'm always terrified to tell a company, but the more open I am, like I tell them in my interview process that I have bipolar disorder. Um, and then there's obviously like the form that comes in when you are actually hired by them and they ask if you have a disability and I still don't tick that box because I don't feel comfortable with it yet but I really should because I'm so open with it there but I guess the only downside is that everything is like you are under a microscope a bit you know um if I have times where I'm just not feeling good that day because I do need a mental health day which is so common I need like at least one day a month where I don't go to the office. I still work, but I work from home. I just can't have face-to-face contact. And instead of it being written off as, you know, okay, cool. Yeah, fine. Everyone needs that day. It's like, oh shit, she's got bipolar. Is this, you know, a really bad thing that is she going suicidal? Like, you know, it's, which is kind of good in a way because I guess, you know, they're doing their due diligence. They are looking out for me. Cause they, you never know, I guess, with someone bipolar, especially if you don't know them that well, like what could be happening behind the scenes. But then it also makes you feel a bit guilty. Cause you're like, I don't want anyone to ro- like worry about me. This yeah. is just what I needed to do is for myself. So, but I would say it's definitely um, bettered me and myself cause I'm very open and talking about it at work. And there's symptoms of my bipolar, you know, that helped me in my work in terms of I'm very direct which can really help me in my job. Um, I don't beat around the bush and I'm very strong and confident and I don't really, you know, let people kind of walk all over me or anything like that. So it has helped me in some ways. What do you um, find, what have you found was the reaction when you're going through that interview process, that job application interview process, and you have, you know, revealed that you have this, let's call it a medical diagnosis. What, What happens What's, what's the reaction um, then? I've only ever revealed it since having the podcast, like in an interview yeah. process. I think because, and I've revealed it, I think because I work in advertising and, you know, they have clients and I wanted to make sure that they were comfortable with the kind of content that I was putting out there. Cause you know, I talk about yeah. masturbating. Like I talk about yeah. the guy I just like fucked three days ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I don't want them to get some clients who are like, yeah. the fuck is this chick? Yeah. Um, and I guess the great thing about, I, I'm sure it's all over the world, but just coming to London and having this podcast and telling them about it they every company I mean every company at the moment is just progressing in so many ways so putting that out there everyone fucking loves it they're like yes this is the kind of you know 
diversity of like people who have disabilities that we want in this company um and not that they're trying to tick a box or anything like that but um you know it does they do love it um I haven't yet had a company that doesn't like it and I work in advertising so I think it would be different if I was working in a different space because advertising is so creative and they do crazy things you know they do really open and out there things where I think if it was a financial sort of background company, I don't think it would be viewed the same way, to be honest. You, um, you meant, Anna, you mentioned there the podcast, you know, um, the the bipolar diaries. Let's talk about that. Um, tell the audience. Yes. What what is it? Ah, it's my baby. (laughs) Um, well, I, yeah, I started, I started a blog when I, um, we went into lockdown in Australia because I was meant to move to, London in March of 2020 and they uh closed the border and so I was stuck had no job and I was like this is the time to you know do it so I wrote I started a blog and it turned out to you know kind of get a little traction and then I just was like oh I love writing but I love talking more (laughs) and so I just started a podcast and it's I just I don't know stuff just kind of came out and it was so natural and it is so natural. I fucking love doing it. Um, you know, I talk about all the different symptoms of bipolar, but I also am always updating people on what's happening in my life because my life is like just like a fucking it. telenovela, I swear, sometimes. Like I, I bring it on myself, to be honest. But um, it's just, and I love entertaining people. I love talking about myself clearly. So I do love it so much and... Yeah, it just, it was the best thing that happened to me was being, you know, able to get that out. And it's sad that something like COVID, that's how it started, you know, because I was yeah. in lockdown and everything like that. But I'm just glad that at least something came from it. You know, I was able to build something in what was kind of, you know, obviously a dark time. Um, but yeah, so I, I love doing it. I actually was just recording a bit earlier in a studio in London today. So it's so much fun. Um, do you also find that the, the sort of bipolar diaries, your, your podcast is a cathartic experience for you. Like you're getting those thoughts out um, while you're doing those episodes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I do not, I, like, I mean, I probably should go back to a fucking psychologist or psychiatrist, but I, it's like therapy for me, you know, because I, it's so crazy how much of a person, like how much I've changed and how much I watch my thoughts change and how much I develop just from talking to myself, like, you know, I started off on a, um, my laptop, just, you know, speaking to the camera, looking at myself and watching my thought process in an episode, like just like as in a podcast episode, just kind of change and talking out loud to myself. And I almost felt like it was for my benefit at first and then posting it and like people relating to that. It's amazing. And my thoughts constantly change. And like, I feel, I feel as though I'm constantly realizing things that I hadn't before and that's through the podcast because I'm you know you go to therapy and you talk it out and you have someone there to kind of soundboard with you and I'm not saying like I don't need a therapist but right now I don't killing it (laughs) is that something is that something you've um you know worked with previously you've you've been to psychiatrists etc um previously like growing up and and also when when did you start that process of seeking help yeah oh this was a long fucking process so my first 
psychiatrist was when I was, how old am I now? I'm 27, turning 28. It was when I was probably like seven or maybe a year earlier than that. So I've been in them my whole life. Um, I've done group therapy, which was fucking horrific. Um, And I was, you know, a kid and it was in a hospital and yeah, it was just a lot. And then, yeah, I've seen, I don't even know how many different psychiatrists, psychologists I've seen over my lifetime, but it is so, it was so constant in my life. Um, And actually before I was diagnosed bipolar, I I said to my mom, you know, at the age of 20, I said like, this is the last time I'm doing this. I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I was giving up. I, you know, you have to, cause when you go in to see someone, you have to start again, you have to give them your entire life story and, you know, it's exhausting. And I just said to her, I I can't do this anymore. Like this is the last one. And if it doesn't work out, then I don't know what we're going to do because, you know, it was at that point I was either going to end it all or I was just going to live in misery kind of thing. Thankfully, that's the one I got diagnosed and it changed my entire life. But um, yeah, it was a lot, you know, it was just so many years of not knowing and being confused and being mainly more depressed than anything. Like my episodes in high school were complete depression, you know, and I would say depression for almost a year, not just from my bipolar, but from like high school trauma. So that was really hard and yeah, hard not having an answer at those points. Do you think it was visibly noticeable when you were going through say a year of depression or were you able to hide it? No, it was super noticeable. Um, I was like, I was self-harming and I couldn't really get out of bed and I was 14, 15 at this point. So like quite young. Um, And I was, you know, in the principal's office a lot My sister was, you know, kind of having to go to the principal's office on behalf of me a lot, um, skipping school. uh, Well, not skipping school as in like I just, like my mom knew where I was, but I just wouldn't get out of bed. And I was just a mess and I would just cry constantly. And then again in year 12, the same thing. Year 12 was almost just as bad, um, but I wasn't suicidal. I was more just like I was underweight and I, couldn't face the day and I would you know muck up day one of the funnest days of the year I got to school and I turned right around and came back home Mm. um I couldn't do it so yeah they were definitely so noticeable and I think it it weighed heavy on a lot of my friends that it really destroyed some of my relationships with people yeah how were your parents through that time you know were they you know really supportive did they understand what was going on um yeah, how how are they during that? Because I imagine yeah. it would have been tough on, on them as well. Yeah, my parents have been completely amazing at all times. Um, you know, my parents are the type of people I, I I know in the beginning, like I know some of the treatments I had in the beginning were not right for me, like the group therapy crap, like that just is not for me. And that I think in there that they don't know what they were doing then, but no one did. Like I was a kid who was seven years old and they didn't know what the fuck was going on with me. Like it was, and I just think they were doing anything to help me, but there was so much love, so much support. They were at every single appointment. They would, you know, my dad would come in off from work in a suit. My mom's picking me up from school. We all go in and we all sit in there. So it's very, my sister, my mom would come to a lot of my, um, psychologist sessions when I was in year nine and we would have family sessions and things like that my sister would sit outside countless appointments my mum when I was 20 
and I, oh, not 20, so 24, and I was diagnosed with PTSD, I had to take, um, I had to quit my job and I had five months off work and did intense, you know, one, sometimes two times a week therapy. And she sat outside every single appointment waiting for me because mm. after the appointments, I was so tired and drained and I would come out like hyperventilating that she would have to drive me home. Um, and she, I can't, you know, sometimes I go through her bag cause I'm like looking for money <laughs> and there's just, um, there's, you know, printouts of different articles from black dog, you know, talking about bipolar. She's constantly looking into it and she constantly talks to me about how much change she wants to make in the bipolar community. So my parents are fucking amazing. Yeah, They're so fantastic. supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic to be here. Yeah. You said um, that before you got diagnosed that, that it was hard on your friends. Once you got the diagnosis and you've started up the bipolar diaries, has that opened communication back up with some people that you may have lost because of you know, things being difficult and, and on, on their side more than yours? Fuck no. <laughs> no. Um, oh, friendships are such a hard one with me. Um, no. The people that didn't understand it, I don't mm. think I will have great contact with, you know. I still mm. talk to some people, but, like, I was always open. That's the thing. I never hid anything. And even though I'm better, I still, like, nothing has, I don't know, it's a hard one because the girls that stood by me and, like, have not really wavered or anything like that. Maybe, yeah, they might've been annoyed with me here and there because um, of some things, but they've always tried to understand it and kept an open mind. Um, and I'm sure the people that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with anymore or whatever, they might have, you know, have a better understanding now, but for my self help or, you know, mental health, I don't need to, you know, just cut them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, it didn't really change any, it changed, it changed things in terms of it did, it, it made my relationships better. Yes. And I became more of a stronger, like I didn't have to rely on my friends so much. It more became that they could actually come to me and rely on me for things. Cause I wasn't constantly breaking down, but the people that, you know, we weren't in a good place. It's just like, you know, that's what it was. And it stayed like that. Yeah. And with um, bipolar 2 disorder, I mean, as a whole and also any other mental ill health, um, how do you feel about reducing the stigma around those um, diagnoses? Yeah, oh, huge. I mean, I think I was actually just sitting down with a girl, um, Amy Millie, because she has borderline personality disorder, which I think carries an even heavier stigma than bipolar at times because you know there's no medication for it um and you know bipolar you have medication for it and I'm able to in my head think of it as you know a very science-based chemical imbalance I was born like this just as how you would be born with an allergy you know things like that um so just talking to her today actually about you know the stigma behind what she has and how much worse it even is but you know sitting with her she's it's hard when you're like functioning in mm. a world, but people still look at you like you're crazy. And like, I guess I am crazy, but like who the fuck wants to be normal? That's so boring. <laughs> and 
it's just, you know, even people like we, she went to, you know, she was hospitalized. I've never been hospitalized. Um, but she has, and even I was like, Oh God, hospitalization. Like that's a huge, you know, but her explaining it to me, there's, you know, it's so not what you think it is. You know, in my mind, it was like people running around in like hospital gowns, like screaming at the top of their lungs kind of thing. And she's like, so not like that. Like that's obviously the stigma behind it. So yeah, reducing stigma is huge, especially for teenagers who are going through bipolar, because I think being hit with that label at such a young age can be so traumatic. And so, you know, that shape that time in our lives can shape a lot. And I just think it sets kind of sets you up for, you know, being picked on or people automatically putting you in a box and, you know, relationships, people like you boys, you know, or girls already saying like, Oh, we've got bipolar. I can't date you, you know, and that's like quite trivial and shitty stuff, but it does affect you. Um, And so I just want to, yeah, remove that because, you know, I have bipolar and I'm fucking cool. <laughs> I'm lit. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm doing well. I'm in fucking yeah. London, living my yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was a shit answer. <laughs> no, we'll take it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, are there are there triggers that happen that cause you to go into your episodes? Is, is that something or is it just kind of like it builds and, and then kind of releases into an episode? Like... Um, yeah, there are definitely triggers. Um, I think everyone has their own kind of triggers. Um, they can be from things like, I mean, you know, alcohol is a trigger, uh, things like if I'm not in routine, I guess I am triggered by not being in routine and certain foods can be triggers in a weird way. Uh, but I guess there's also other triggers. I don't know if it's more my bipolar or more my PTSD, but like just even certain words can trigger me. Like, or if someone telling me, like trying to give me advice on something I've said, like they'd say, you know, you've said this and you shouldn't have said it like that. That triggers me really hard because I, you know, I growing up, I was so criticized by everyone for the way I spoke um, because, you know, I have no filter. And now I've like tried so hard during my life to change myself, to fit in. And now I'm, you know, going through this fucking stage of like, I'm not fitting in, like I'm fucking perfect. I'm not, but you know, I'm taking it too far. And so I am now when someone tries to call me out, oh my God, I get so triggered. It's bad. Like I've had horrible fights with my sister about her just giving me advice and me screaming, hyperventilating, leaving, being depressed for like weeks. It's horrible. Um, so I definitely triggers, but I don't know. It's a hard one with bipolar. I don't know if sometimes they can just come on or if it's like small triggers, like down to even just like the change in season, you know, cause you know, it gets, comes to summer, you're staying up later cause it's nice weather. Like, I don't know exactly. It's still something I'm trying to figure out, but there's definitely parts that can push you into an episode. As I said, you know, I, the other week I signed with a, podcast network I was sponsored for five years in the UK it was World Bipolar Day and I signed with a studio in the UK and it all happened in one week within like three days of each other and I think that all of it just pushed me over the edge and that's how my hypermanic episode started I think yeah um so yeah there definitely are triggers for sure 
you've said there that the routine is a big thing for yourself. Are there other sort of um, self-care things that you use to make sure that you, you're either managing your episodes or you're not going to be as triggered by things? Yeah, um, definitely. This sounds weird, but like not socializing as much. So, you know, I love socializing, but, you know, I don't hang out with people during the week. Um, I go to work, I come home. Uh, I think seeing people during the week after I've had a big day at work, I need that time to rest and Mm. reset my brain. Otherwise I'm overwhelmed and I'm then out of routine and pushed into it. Um, Like I don't drink during the week. That's a lie. I got pretty fucked up last night, but that was a one-off. That was a one-off. It was work drinks, but I don't really drink usually during the, yeah. during the week. Um, Sundays, I very rarely do anything on Sundays. I need that time to prepare myself for the week because if I go into the week kind of scattered in my head, I'm doomed for that week. And I can't change it after just one day. It's like that whole week is then a write-off. It's a fucking worst. Um, but yeah, I guess routine, it still is key. I know I've said that already, but like, it's just going to bed at the same time every single night and waking up at the same time every single morning. I have to make sure I'm getting an exercise, even if it's just a walk, you know, I can't go and not do exercise for a week, not for like, you know, purposes of wanting to look hot or anything, but just literally so that I can take my mind off somewhere else and relax um so yeah I mean I can't really think of anything else at the moment but there's definitely more I would say that I do you know down actually down to probably like when I get dressed in the morning or when I go to the gym I have to wear things that match or I have to be the most perfect version of myself in terms of my hair my face like in my eyes it has to be what I see as flawless because if it's not if one thing is out of kind of like if I'm wearing a top that doesn't match my pants my brain is and it's not like a fashion thing I'm not like oh my god kill me now I've committed social suicide no that's not it it's like my brain it's overloaded with like these don't match and you fucked yourself and yet you can't think about anything else you have to change I can't go to the gym wearing like mix mismatching shoes and sports bras they have to match for some reason and I don't know why I just I have to have them matching I need to see someone to talk about that stuff. I've got to figure it out. But that's something that really triggered. I'm like, if it's not matching, I can't think. I'm like, it's all I'm thinking about is the fact that these aren't matching. Yeah. With with routine, I'm the exact same. I have to have, you know, a quiet Sunday. I have to set myself up for success for the week. I have to be organized at school. Um, Yeah. And Mm. going to bed early at the same time, wake up at the same time. I need that routine. Yeah. I can... 100% 100% relate to that and yeah. also socializing front you know I have footy on Tuesdays and Thursdays but like I don't hang around the club after it and stuff like that I just you know I need to be mm. in that routine and sync so I can 100% relate with you on that yeah and the people that like go out on Sundays oh I hate them because they make me feel so guilty they're like oh, we're just all going to like go do this on this Sunday for like six hours. And I'm just like, can you finally make you feel guilty about not going? And it's like, fuck off. Like, sorry, I don't have your brain. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fair play. Mm. Funny. I, I live in utter chaos. Unlike the both of you. Um, <laughs> I don't have a set routine. 
um, outside of like when I go to work and when I come home, I live in like moment to moment and it's, it's the polar opposite of what you're both saying. How the other I wish half I was live, like hey? that. I wish I was like that. I want to be fun. I, like, I am fun, but I want to be that kind of fun. It's funny. I w- see, I wish I was more organized because it would be nice to have some actual structure to how I operate instead of like, I'm at uni and I leave, I leave uni assignments till like, oh, I've got six hours to complete this 1500 word essay. And it's like, why, why do I do this to myself? Like, why can't I work on this throughout the past three weeks? So yeah. I wish I yeah. lived on your side of the fence. Anna well I might roll this podcast into our Triple H segment Um, and the first question of that is Anna who is your hero oh that's easy I have two technically it's my sister and my mom they're my heroes yeah I I mean mean, I'm sure yeah you have touched on you know that support that your mum gave you especially through those high school years so that that doesn't surprise me at all yeah, my sister as well. She's just, they're just, like, I would not be here without them, that's for sure. So I kind of, like, I don't want to say I owe them my life, but, like, they definitely are the reason that I'm here. So um, they're definitely my heroes. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, what, you know, we, we have touched on the hardship with the, the bipolar 2 disorder, but what hardship have you faced that's um, shaped who you are today? You know, you've come through yeah. it. And, you know, it's who you are today. Mm. I mean, I was... Uh, really badly bullied growing up um it started when I was really young and just like over silly things like like girls would have really small eyes and people would try and stick stick sticks in my eyes to see if they'd fit um and then I know and then it moved to the the worst one was um when I was in high school growing up and boys called me the whale because they said that I was really fat and that I was and I would get like voicemails on my phone saying that I should be chopped up into sushi and sent back to Japan and like all of this and they would draw on a tablecloth at parties with a whale with my name on it and that was obviously like horrific I would like you know be fat shamed over the internet and things like that by ex-boyfriends so that has definitely that's played a massive you know I've suffered from an eating disorder and like I still like, even though I'm such a better place, you know, that's something I'm going to deal with the rest of my life. And that is a hundred percent stemmed from those times. Um, But I think it's hard to say hardships. I know there's people out there going through so much worse than me, but I think it's just the battle in your mind every day. You know, I say to my family when they ask me about my bipolar, especially when I was younger, I was like, I just feel as though if you woke up in my brain for a day or walked in my shoes for a day, you would be in bed within the first hour because you'd be exhausted. Just about how rapid my thoughts are, how insane they are in terms and like how emotional and like damaging they are, beating myself up, thinking about a hundred different things at a time. So I think my hardship comes from just the struggle every day to get up even though my brain and the voices in my head are telling me different with the um with with the bullying you know when when that was happening to you how was your reaction you know would you fight or flight what what would happen you know when you say when you saw things on the internet and also with at the parties with the the whole drawing the whale thing like what what would how would you react to that because i can see you doing both Um, going up and dropping someone Oh, or I, could I did. Yourself. Yeah. Say both. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have slapped like five different guys in my day for that. Yeah. So yeah. I would go up to them at a party and I just like 
hit them across the face. I don't condone violence. I was 13. Okay. So like I can get away with that. Um, so yeah, I definitely stood up for myself. I was super like, just, I would never let someone, you know, but then if it was over the internet or like the voicemails, I just deleted them. I just Mm. didn't say anything. Um, and then they were reported to the school by my family because it was becoming so much, like I was getting harassed. And so the schools had to, my school had to talk to their school and they were forbidden from contacting me. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of both, you know, I'm, I never have not stood up for myself. I'm very confrontational um, to a fault, you know, sometimes too much. I get involved where I shouldn't. Um, but yeah, but sometimes I'm just like, you know, when I was at that age, it hurts, but you also don't realize how resilient you are. So even though it hurt, I also was just like, oh, I just don't give a fuck. Like, you're not worth my time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, thanks for sharing that because that's pretty, you know, significant, I'll call it a trauma that you would have gone through. So thank you for sharing that with us and the audience. Um, My final Triple H question for you is what's the highlight of your life been to date? I reckon there'd be a few, but what's the, uh, what's the highlight that you want to pick out for us? Yeah, all my highlights are happening at the moment. You know, I've always, it's so crazy because since I went on medication, every single year of my life has just gotten better and better. Um, and so I so thoroughly, like I, I've never in my life before, like before I was diagnosed looked forward to the future. I didn't know there was a future. I thought I would die or I thought I would just get married off and like, you know, not just be a mum. you know, I didn't know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just didn't know I had other options. I thought I couldn't do it because I didn't have the brain capacity, but gosh, highlights. I mean, honestly, highlight in my life is being diagnosed with bipolar. It was the best thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life. That is, that changed me forever. And that's a hard thing to say because I have so many highlights now, you know, signing to a network is fucking unreal. I still can't believe that's happened. Being in London is amazing. Getting sponsored for five years is amazing. But I would have to say the best thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life is being diagnosed bipolar. I'm so grateful. And so it just, it changed my whole entire life. Yeah, fantastic. And how old were you, sorry, when you got that diagnosis? Uh, I was 20. 20. So I was diagnosed about nearly eight years ago now. Yeah, so eight years and all looking up, eh? Yeah, killing it. You know, I could yeah. not have been in London if I was undiagnosed. There's no way. So I just want to go back to, to something you said during your hardship. You you get um, you were saying that people would be exhausted within the first hour if they were to walk in your shoes. Um, mm. You said that you get a lot of negative thoughts. How do you combat that? We had we had a guest on who said a lot of um, you know we have something like sixty thousand thoughts a day, most of them negative. How do you combat that? Hmm. That's a good question. I, a lot of the time I do tell myself that my mind's playing a trick on me. Um, and that it's my bipolar, even when it's not, I'm like, no, it's just your bipolar. You're fine. Um, I don't know though. I think, I think a lot of it is to just look back and at how far I've come and just try and stop those negative thoughts coming in. I mean, I guess it is hard and I have them like less and less obviously, but I'm not actually sure how, because before I used to just let them overtake me, you know, and I would repeat them in my head. I almost like would push myself. This sounds kind of sick, but like I would put them on, I would almost like put on a sad song 
to let myself cry it out. And I repeat in my head that like everyone hates you, you know, um, which is weird, but I don't know. I think I don't deal with it in a really that good of a way. You know, I think because I was growing up, a lot of people didn't like me that, for example, I spoke about this on um, the other day with someone when I go out and say, you know, meet new people and come home instead of thinking, oh, I hope they like me. I think to myself, oh, they probably hated me. Um, They probably didn't like me. And that kind of comforts me. I know that sounds so weird, but it helps me. And I'm not recommending it. I'm not, it's not advice at all. But for me, it's like, I've already assumed the worst. So if they do actually not like me, well, that's fine because I already picked up on it. And that's not healthy, but I think that's past trauma saying that. And that's how I think I deal with the negative comments because I then change it to be like, well, they didn't like me and I don't give a fuck. So like, I don't like them. I don't know. It's, it's a fucking unhealthy way of living. Um, but yeah, I think just, I, don't, I guess just reminding myself, my sister said something to me about how like, you know, if someone doesn't, you know, want to be with you or doesn't like you because of your bipolar or anything like that, it's, you know, you should, you don't want to be with them anyway. So I guess it's things like that, that I remind myself of. It's like, if this happens or if that happens, you know, it's like, well, then it wasn't for me anyway. And I shouldn't feel upset or negative about it. Sorry. That's a really hard one to answer. I don't even, cause I guess you don't notice in the moment how you get out of those negative thoughts. It's not like you stop and pause and you're like, wait, let me write this, this way of doing it down. <laughs> No, no, I, I appreciate the honesty. I think that's, that's, um, I, I think it's a great answer. And you kind of, you wear it as a suit of armor. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah. My question for you, Anna, is what advice would you give to anyone who may currently be struggling um, with a bipolar two disorder? You know, maybe someone in high school or, you know, someone in their early twenties, what advice would you give to them? <sighs> My advice would be, I mean, don't conform to like, don't try and act normal. Firstly, be yourself because there's so many unique things about you. Um, You know, even though bipolar comes with a lot of, obviously what can be seen as negative, there's obviously some parts of it that, or it might just be your beauty shining through your beautiful personality shining through that is special. And, you know, don't let people drum that out of you. Um, I'm glad that, you know, I never kind of changed who I was. I always stayed true to who I was and didn't, even though my therapy was meant to kind of help me fit in, it didn't work, but I'm glad it didn't because I've never strayed from the person that I am. Um, but also just to not give up. I think that is the biggest thing. And I know it's like, it can be hard. You know, I had 20 years also of nearly giving up, you know, um, and I'm so glad I never did because now I look at life with so much love um, and just don't give up if it doesn't work out straight away. You know, it's, you, it's such a, it's so hard because you, I'm so impatient and you have to be patient with these things, but, you know, trying a new medication, um, just getting a new psychiatrist that works for you. And it can be such a long haul, but like, I know it sounds rough, but, you know, 10, 20 years of waiting for the next 50 to be amazing in my eyes is so worth it. Um, So just 
keep doing your research, research constantly, try to understand yourself as much as you can because you'll find great comfort in that and just try your hardest not to give up. Yeah, fantastic. Um, my last question for you, and I'm actually looking forward to this answer, is um, oh, what, advice, <laughs> what advice would you give yourself, your 18-year-old self? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Oh, probably the same thing that I just said. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, I've, done, I've wrote a letter to myself before. Um, but it was for my 15-year-old self. But my 18-year-old self was in such a different stage. Yeah. Um, the first one would be to get the fuck over boys. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. was so boy obsessed when I was 18. So I would say to myself, you know, move on. <laughs> yeah. um, I would also say to not, don't think that you have to, do what everyone in your life is doing. You know, I went to a private girls school. It's you go to uni, you do this degree, you get a job, like, you know, you don't have to do that. I mean, you don't have to go to uni if you don't want to fucking go to uni. Um, I won't, I don't think I'd ever pressure my kids to do that because the stress it put on me as a person was horrific and I fucking hated it. And I think it, I had a lot of panic attacks there and things like that. Um, I know, you can do it in other ways and to just not conform to what the, you know, every place is different. I mean, growing up in Sydney, I felt like a lot of pretty much everyone did the same thing. And like the people that didn't do the same thing, I mean, it's Sydney, like it's tall poppy syndrome, you know, they're kind of outcasted in a little way. So don't be afraid of that. Um, really be true to yourself and do what you want to do. Yeah. Uh and yeah, just real, just know deep down that you're not going to be the same person you always are. You'll, be, you know, obviously you will in some way, but you're going to grow, you're going to mature, yeah. and don't be stuck in your head on who you are all the time. I, I was a lot, and don't feel guilty about that. And just make sure you know that you are a good person deep down. I think I struggled a lot with that and was made out to feel like I was the worst person in the world. Um, and you're only 18 and you've got so much long, like so much more to go. And yeah. Yeah. That's great advice to your 18 year old self. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and Sergio, what um, has this and, and your own podcast experience taught you about yourself? Oh, it's definitely been a lot of self-reflecting, like, but I don't know. It almost is like, I feel like it's taught me about what I need to improve on. Um, you know, obviously there's things like even some of the answers I'm giving now, my answers were so different even a year ago, you know, um, how I would talk to people and approach situations was different. Um, even just down to slight differences, but I'm not really sure. Like, I think I just have grown so much doing my podcast and every episode I do, I change a little bit, you know, I think a little differently. Uh, and it's been amazing to, you know, connect with people and be open, open my mind to, you know, I'm obviously not the only person out there with bipolar, even though I pretty much thought that <laughs> I thought I was so special. And then now it's like, no, everyone like struggles and, that's been amazing to see. It's hard. It's really weird when you can relate to someone else's pain because you don't want to be relating on that reason, but it's nice to feel like you can relate. So that's been really amazing to see all the people that 
also suffer in the same way that I do, which I never imagined because I'd never spoken to anyone that that had bipolar. But yeah, it's definitely been a journey and I don't know. It's just, I just feel like I change on a regular basis for the good. I just, I'm growing, I'm maturing. I like that. I think that's that's a really great answer. And I also think that's a really great place for us to finish off the podcast. Anna, thank you so yes. much for, for joining us thank and you. being a part of the, the Line and Link podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. I hope I, hope I was okay. <laughs> no, I, I loved it. That was great. You loved were awesome. It. You were. Thanks. Uh, and to all of those that are listening, if you want to be involved in the Line and Link podcast, please reach out to um, any of our guests or myself or Kels. Um, we'll be able to get you on here if you want to talk about your story and your journey and, and uh, share that with everyone. Um, also, a special shout out to uh, our producer, Stewie. Um, we love the work that he does in, in helping our podcast sound even better than it already is. Um, but that's it from us here at the Line and Link podcast. In the meantime, take care, look after your lid, subscribe to the show and look forward to the next episode of the Line and Length podcast. <laughs>